Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to the Drop Zone. Uh, this is the week after the Masters, and generally, there's a hangover after every major. There's a hangover after the Masters in particular. But I don't think there was a hangover in excitement for golf this week, which is odd because we had a female golfer win by seven and a male 47-year-old win by four. But uh, we had Lydia Ko bouncing back from a pretty long drought, and we had old man Stuart Sink win at Harbortown. Dylan, give this week a rating out of 10. Like if Hideki winning the Masters is like an 8 or a 9 out of 10 and Tiger winning the Masters is 10 out of 10, what was this week for you? Wow. I think this it's week... It's a tough scale to grade on, <laughs> but... I mean, yeah, you know me. I want to add all kinds of qualifiers in here. I think that... <laughs> I think this week was a 7, and I think that's pretty I much like that. as high as it could have been. That's really single-handedly just because of Lydia Ko. Um, Stuart Sink winning with his whole family there was great, but I think, man, the Masters come down is very real. I'm actually curious how real it is for the players also because they're still playing for not the same amount of money, but not so far off the next week. I know the points are down. The the venue is much chiller, but there's definitely a come down. But the person that saved that this week was Lydia Ko. We've just seen Jordan Spieth break his three-year drought. We saw Hideki break his three-year winless drought. But on the women's side, the only equivalent, the best equivalent to that Jordan Spieth drought was Lydia Ko. Her peak was even higher, arguably, than Jordan Spieth's as a junior golfer. She stormed her way to the top. She was world number one by age 17. She's somehow still only 23 years old, Sean. She turns 24, <laughs> I think, this coming week. Um, but she hasn't won since 2018. She hasn't been in the world top 10 since 2017. She's burned through instructors, coaches, trainers. Um, she's always been thoughtful. She's always let the media in on what she's go Oof. on what she's going through. Um, so to see her then struggle her way back to the top of the mountain to almost win several times last year to, to definitely find her game again and now take that final step winning and then just absolutely running away from the field um, on Saturday night in golf prime time made this a successful week. What about you, Sean? What grade are you giving well, this week? I think a seven is fair. I think Lydia Ko, uh, well, she is not a bomber, right? So she plays her game and she is not exactly like the most exciting player, but she has the capability to be like far and away the best character in women's golf. She has the potential to be a dominant type of player. And I think that as golf fans, we love that. We love champions that continue to win and win and win. And even if they trip up or even if, you know, they maybe do something wrong in the way Tiger did, <laughs> We continue to support them when they're on the golf course. And so Lydia Ko, like you said, she ran through coaches and caddies and was really kind of in the woods a little bit. Now that she's out, we're going to, to constantly cheer for her. We were always pulling for her. Uh, I was pulling for her throughout all of 2020 because she actually had a lot better season last year than I think people gave her credit for. She contended at the Women's British Open, the Women's Scottish Open, the Women's U.S. Open. She damn near won the a and Inspiration a couple weeks ago. 
she's been on the come up a lot more when you compare her to Spieth, who has done it for like this year. She'd kind of done it for the last six or seven or eight months. So, uh, yeah, I want her to become that dominant player that she once was. I don't know how how plausible that is. Like, it felt like she basically blacked out when she <laughs> when she was 16, 17, like, and r- winning everything. That's not sustainable, I don't think. Like, we can't expect that return. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I'm probably going to slow us down and say let's take it week by week and hopefully she can con- continue contending in majors and maybe bag one of those this year. Yeah, I think that that's reasonable. I think that it makes sense to temper expectations a little bit. But I also think that there's no guarantee that these guys were actually going to win again. Um, It's funny, Eamon Lynch wrote a really good piece for Golf Week yesterday just talking about how, you know, golf is essentially filled with players who were too good not to win again. Um, So to have Spieth uh, and Mm. Co. both, you know, ascending that hill again is pretty great, not something we should take for granted. It's something we've been hoping for from – Rory McIlroy more recently. Um, But I think we like being part of the process for these, (laughs) you know, thoughtful kind of alpha golfers going through it, struggling, trying to get better. But now that they've won, I think we want an element of their greatness to return. We want some, you know, edge from Lydia Ko. It was interesting to see Lydia talking about doubts, talking about how she needs to trust herself uh, she wrote trust and conviction on her T sheet yesterday, uh, or on her uh, her pin sheet rather, which I think is is you know advice that we should all follow. Um, Spieth talked about searching in the wilderness, but now now that they've won, I want to see that mentality return of I am the best in the world. I'm better than you. I'm gonna beat the rest of you. Um, and so I hope that we get to that point. Let's. If you are uh, Smiley Kaufman, that's that's a tough example. If you are one of the struggling golfers on the PGA Tour, and you see Jordan Spieth talking about being in the wilderness, you know, a guy who never came close and never will probably come close to losing his tour card, who still contended in majors in 2019, he almost uh, he finished third, I know, by a lot of strokes at the PGA Championship at Bethpage. He almost won the open championship in 2018 at Carnoustie, you know, he's contended in the masters in the years since like, can you imagine what that must feel like to be a a true struggling PGA tour player and be like, Oh yeah. Jordan Spieth's in the wilderness. I guess that must be quite, I guess it would be comforting in some way, knowing that you're not the only person that is feeling lost. Yeah. But you find out that your wilderness is pretty damn dark compared to Jordan's. Like his wilderness is truly like you've got sun streaking through the pines. Your wilderness is like the back of a cave and it's Definitely. real dark. But it's hey, different. play better. Play better is that it's always the answer <laughs> or, or retire. Wow. Uh, before we, yeah, or retire. Before we move forward on uh, Stuart Sink, I kind of want to give a, a shout out to Sean mm. Foley. Only because... He's had some huge names in golf. He has coached some of the best players in the world. And I think none of those uh, coaching tenures have been smooth. I think that's a pretty fair way of discussing it. 
He coached Tiger. Tiger had a bunch of back issues. He coached. He's coached Justin Rose. Continues to. Jay Rose has had his fair share of back issues. Hunter Mahan, um, Cameron Champ has even kind of had an up and down career to this point, with Sean Foley as his coach. So, y- you consider all these people that Sean Foley has coached, and then I I know you I think were a doubter of him working with Lydia Ko or Lydia Ko working with him, and not not to pull receipts on you, but he's part of the reason that she's come out of the wilderness. He is the philosophical kind of cerebral tour coach, potentially to a fault at times, but like she really, really likes him as her coach. I think she would, I don't know. She would give him a a gigantic endorsement for what he's been able to do with her, with her, for her. You talked about her writing, uh, you know, the words on her, uh, you talked about her writing words on her pin sheet. Well, those words came from him. So like she, he very much works for her and for a guy who has gotten a lot of uh, praise for being a coach and also a lot of people kind of questioning his methods. This is a huge stamp in, uh, of approval in his book. I yeah. Think. I mean, I think you got to give credit where credit's due. And I watched uh, Lydia's press conference yesterday and she referred to Sean Foley maybe a dozen times. I mean, it was, it was littered with, uh, thanks to Foley for essentially restoring her confidence, believing in her when she wasn't sure that she had full confidence in herself. Um, it was interesting. She did talk at the end about deciding to work with him. And she said she was aware of some of the criticism, you know, he's too technical or he's too this or too that. And, you know, in some ways that, that was my fear was just like another swing coach is not going to yeah. be the answer here. She, I almost thought she needed to go the route of, you know, just going out and playing golf. Um, and that's always easier to say from the sidelines for someone like Co or someone like Spieth who is trying to find that right amount of freedom. But sometimes it can be counterintuitive, but it can be a coach that will simplify things so maybe it is a technical solution but by getting one technical solution you can just eliminate all the I think she said rubbish swing thoughts so you can just get rid of everything else (laughs) so even though it might seem like it's a technical solution it's actually just one very simple thing that clears your head that allows you to basically play with freedom and and bring back that trust so I mean yeah between Justin Rose playing lights out at the masters for the most part through about 60 something holes. Um, and now Lydia Ko completing this comeback. Good couple weeks for our man, Sean Foley. Real quick, who wins more tour events between now and the end of this calendar year, Jordan Spieth or Lydia Ko? Oh, I think Lydia Ko. I think Lydia Ko wins yeah, two more times this year. And It'd be fun if Jordan Spieth Damn. does the same, Whew. but uh, I think hopefully he'll win at least one more time. But yeah, Lydia Ko is gonna, unless the only the only thing is if Inby Park just keeps kind of doing her thing and just wins like every tour event the rest of the year. She's about to climb back to world number one. She shot sixty three yesterday, the round of yeah. the day. She's the goat, and she just keeps getting better. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, Another person uh, who we would call a veteran is Stuart Sink. 
He wins by four, the RBC Heritage, which had a pretty solid field. Uh, a buddy of mine pointed out his uh, 36-hole score was 18-under. That was fine. He, he didn't have to hit another putt all weekend. Like 18-under would have won him the tournament by three. He ends up making it to 19-under, but he didn't have to do anything on the weekend. Uh, I asked you earlier, was this the most impressive win by anyone this year? What do you think? I don't think it's the most impressive just because of the field he was up against. Um, but it was certainly a runaway victory. I mean, I think if you look at Bryson DeChambeau's win at Wingfoot, that's that's more impressive. That's running away from the best golfers in the yeah. field. Dustin Johnson's win at the Masters. Um, but when you look at a 47-year-old guy with a decent field, and he's just what he was he shot 126 on Thursday Friday 63 63 no one came close the entire week from day 1 until day 4 no yeah, one was so close. i guess he was 16 under through two rounds and he that would have been a one shot victory if he had just played even par the rest yeah, of the way not 18 under. i mean good math he played golf's version of prevent defense on sunday and it was more than good enough the dude made through 16 holes, I think he had made about 18 feet of putts all day. Like, he had not made a putt longer than a yard until he finally poured in like a 10 or 11 footer on uh, on 17, and he made another 5 or 6 footer on 18. And that basically doubled his, yeah. his made putts for the day. He was just hitting it to, hit it, hitting it to the middle of the green, uh, or hitting it to the fringe and then cozying it up there to six, eight inches every single hole. He said it was one of the best ball striking days that he can remember, uh, which is pretty telling on a day when he only actually made two birdies and one of them was, you know, just getting up and down on a par five. So he looked in cruise control. It's almost confusing yeah. when something like this happens because it's not like he's the best golfer in the world, but he sure looked like it. He got in one of those modes where it, no yeah. one was going to catch up to him. I, I don't, I have a hard time like making sense of these sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's damn impressive. He's probably the most impressive player on the tour this year. When you consider his age, he actually missed a bunch of cuts kind of the beginning of the calendar year, but he had a really great fall and he's had a really good spring. Now he is only, you know, he's tied with, uh, with Bryson for, wins on tour this yeah. year <laughs> like what if he bags a third victory sometime you, at some point like what if he finishes second at the pga i don't know he's he's definitely in the conversation for player of the year which is do you think ridiculous. that the father son caddy dynamic is you know overrated underrated properly rated i think people have heard so much about it on the broadcast there's an inclination to be like oh man we get it his son's his caddy but i don't know the proof's in the pudding The proof is somewhat in the pudding because I could caddy for Stuart Sink and he could still win. Like there are there are levels of 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 ball striker and like elite player. Like if you're a PGA Tour winner, I think you could probably do it with anyone on the bag. Now, granted, he won by he won by four. He shot back to back sixty threes. I'm not sure he's doing that with me on the bag or you on the bag. To answer your question. Yeah, I guess it's maybe a little bit overrated. Mm. That said, 
Stuart Sink said at the Masters that his son could caddy for anyone on tour. The way he talks about shots with his dad, the way they analyze the wind, like I actually saw them pretty up close and personal on the sixth hole at Augusta, really spending like three minutes about talking about the, the wind and how it was swirling above that hole. And you can tell this isn't just Stuart Sink doing it by himself. And so I think it's a little bit overrated because it's all anyone wants to talk about right now. <laughs> if you caddied for him, we would not be talking about the caddy player relationship as much as we'd be talking well, about Stuart Singh's victory. Be, but I so, get your point. Yeah, you and I definitely would be, but I don't think people would be. So th- there's the caddy and the player, and 95% of the credit needs to go to the player. And I feel like we're giving a little bit more than 5% to the relationship. I'm going to push here. back on this. But we did that with Lee Westwood. We did that with Lee Westwood like a little while ago, and we were all okay with I'm it. I'm going to push back on this because. Stuart Sink didn't win for 11 years. 11 years he was outside the winner's circle. (laughs) And then, boom, his son starts caddying for him at the Safeway Open. And in his very first start, he wins. That's, That's more than coincidence. And I think where this is all confusing and where talking about caddies is confusing in general is... It's not necessarily that Reagan had a veteran caddy's advice or experience or he was better at getting yardages or anything like that. It was something in this black magic of caddying where he put Stewart in the right frame of mind to play his best golf, um, and that has continued to pay off. They've finished in the top five at the Bermuda Championship. They finished T12 at the Masters. Uh, and then this week, we really got to see just how much they chatter to each other, how much Stuart Sink relies on his son. And it is a lot. And there's yeah. something to the relationship where, you know, Reagan can almost challenge his dad if they don't quite sure. agree on something. He can kind of be like, all right, well, cool. Show me. Like, let's see it. And uh, it, it was cool to watch. <laughs> I think there's a little too much pressure put on the, you know, just being mic'd up down the stretch, like walking up the 18th hole. It's probably hard to, to really make that conversation organic when they're both very aware that they're on camera, but the actual strategic stuff talking through shots, I mean, it's working. There's no, no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. Does it make you think that maybe you should have your brother caddy for you instead of me? Look, the only, uh, only, time I made a cut on the Canadian tour was the only week my brother caddied for me. So I think there is something to this. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> only time you mentioned that, uh, also happening at the RBC heritage was something you and I are going to disagree about. Simu mm. Kim hit a putt that hung on the edge of the lip for over 60 seconds, about 75 seconds in total. The ball sat there. Matt Kuchar was, uh, in his group and Matt Kuchar's like that ball's moving. I swear that ball's moving. Siwoo Kim has no rush in terms of actually tapping it in for par. The putt eventually drops. It falls in. Everyone freaks out. But it doesn't count for a birdie. In fact, there's a, a penalty yeah. involved, apparently. <laughs> you you seem to hate this ruling. I'm in favor of it. Speak your truth. If Tiger Woods' chip 
in 2005, sits on the edge of the hole for a few more seconds, and then falls in. No. No. Night. Uh, an entire minute, nice par, Dylan. Tiger. An entire nice minute. Par. Great three, <laughs> no. bud. Two shots, one that. penalty stroke. That this is ridiculous. There's that thing hung on the edge of a lip for five seconds. This was seventy-five. I think it was forty-five or so. But there is a situation where a ball is still rotating a little bit. You know, it doesn't happen often, and certainly not often enough that this is going to meaningfully slow down pace of play on the PGA Tour. That feels like that's that just doesn't feel like a legitimate argument against this policy. I think that if a ball is still moving, wait for it to stop moving. If it's not moving, then you have to finish it up. It's, this, this doesn't seem that complex to me. The ruling doesn't make sense. There's no reason that if a ball is still drop, I mean, the, the proof is kind of in the result here. Like the ball fell in the hole. Clearly it was still moving. It hadn't come to rest yet. I mean, it seems just like a fundamental loophole that suddenly you're supposed to put in a moving golf ball. That seems wrong. That's it. It's it doesn't make sense. I'm I'm losing the words to even prove this point because so, I just don't understand why it is the way that it is. Well, this is a, a very specific circumstance in everything that happened. He actually putted from off the green here. Let's say Matt Kuchar was still in the bunker, and Siwoo Kim's sitting there waiting by the hole, and he's like, "Oh, it's my ball's moving. My ball's moving, Matt." And Matt is twenty yards away which he very well could have been. You don't have the Matt Kuchar endorsement that the ball is still moving. I, I think I think what happened is a very specific circumstance that you need to protect against because let's give you another kind of very wild example. Let's say Patrick Reed hit that putt and the ball is just sitting there and you really say, oh, Patrick Reed thinks his ball is moving. His wall is moving. Is it moving? And then we need Daniel Berger to walk up from just off the green and say, you know what, Patrick, that ball's not moving. Well, now we've we've wasted our time. We've given a lot of credit to, you know, players. Uh, I guess what would be what the player believes, which is what we give all mm-hmm. the credit to. We do give all the credit to that. Whereas we game. just need to – the ball is – but the ball is to the naked eye. I don't know. It, it, it sure damn seemed like it sat there on the edge. If something, if something is in place for about 60 seconds, that's why the 10-second rule exists. It's not long right? enough. It's not a long enough period of time. Let's think about it as, all right, you know when a ball sometimes will get stuck on a cart path and it'll trickle down the cart path for like an endless amount of time? That's sort of the, the more extreme example of this rule. If Jordan Speed's ball is trickling down a cart path and it's not moving very fast, but it just keeps moving and moving, moving. And this has happened where the ball just keeps going after, you know, 10 seconds. You're not going to say, hey, that's Jordan, a- you have to hit it in motion. You just, yeah, pick it clean. That's a different type of movement. And you know it's that a, it's you know that that's a different type of same movement. fundamental rule. You couldn't tell that that ball was moving through your TV screen. No, but I, I trust you Matt think Siwoo Kim's ball was moving heart. from where you were. <laughs> Matt Kuchar is yeah. I'm sure you trust Matt Kuchar. Our trust and respect, and I he's above reprieve. I take him at his word. What a couple of weeks for Siwoo. Is there a middle ground for you and I here? I think that there's. Can a middle you and ground. I find middle ground like 20 seconds? Yeah, or maybe. Because uh, even then, this doesn't work for Siwoo Kim. 
you've seen balls that sit on the edge and actually guys will wait 20 seconds. Yeah. And it never, and they still don't go in. I mean, has this, has this ever been enforced but they, before? They might've thought it's still moving. Like has this exact situation, I don't remember this ever happening where it actually does fall in and then they penalize him because mm. I don't know. It's just, there's too much gray Maybe. area for Prob- me. Probably. There's too much gray area. It <laughs> seems like it should be black and white. If the ball is moving, then you wait for it to stop moving because that's how every other corner of the game works. If it's not moving, all right, it's time. It's time to play your ball. And it seems like it was still just moving a tiny bit here. But I guess very tiny bit. So tiny that we couldn't tell through through the camera. Siwoo didn't break his putter this time. Yeah, you got to take – (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> he actually handled that really well. Uh, I was surprised that he and his caddy, his caddy in particular, who, who tends to get a little fired up too, handled it quite well. Uh, let's move on to something else that happened. Billy Horschel spoke out uh, saying that arm lock putting should be banned. This is something you and I will also probably disagree about because you think he's right and I think he's wrong. Tell me why the hell... Billy Horschel is it's right. It's funny. I feel so definitively about that Siwoo Kim situation that this feels like I suddenly feel wishy-washy on this one because I don't mm. – I mean, look, it seems like you should just swing the putter free. That's kind of a – that's that's how the intent of the old putting seems like it's supposed to happen. Like if there's, if there's a reason that we banned uh, anchoring – then it seems like you probably shouldn't be able to arm lock. I don't know. I've always followed Tiger Woods' instinct on that one, and that that seemed to be uh, how he felt mm. too, that you're essentially still anchoring the club on your arm. It's not the way the new rule was written. Certainly under the rules, you're allowed to, uh, you're allowed to arm lock. But I get where our man Billy is coming from. Even though saying that in the middle of a tournament when you're playing with Will Zalatoris, a guy who arm locks and, you know, just finished second at the Masters, it's kind of a strange look. Yeah, just waxed you at the Masters. Yeah, that wouldn't be yeah. the timing that I would choose. Um, but I don't know. T- tell me why arm lock is chill. Well, because, one, it works within the rules of the game. Maybe the rule needs to be changed. I think anything that happens beneath the elbows mm. <laughs> is all good. That's kind of like your hand really, you know, your hands, it's hard to use just one hand when the putter grip and everything that taking, taking place with the grip is happening beneath the elbows. Like those guys are all pinning it up against either their left forearm or their right forearm. They're not pinning against their bodies. I think that that's fine by me because both hands are engaged. Both hands are being used in the stroke compared to like your anchoring when you had guys actually holding their forearm against their chest and it was just one hand doing the motion. This one, I know that you're taking the hand somewhat out of it in terms of like the kind of uh, like left turn and right turn aspects of a stroke, but the, the arms are still moving. Both arms are still moving. And yes, your, your, your locked arm is very much doing the, 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 I can't tell if you're, 
if the butter is on your left hand, is your left hand the locked arm or is your right hand? I'm really the locked working arm? through this one. This is good. This is good audio. The point is, any anything beneath the elbow is all good, and both hands are engaged. That's let the me push of the back law. on this though. You're a basketball guy. In hoops, they talk about officiating. Sometimes you hear them say <laughs> that like the hand is part of the ball, but they don't say the forearm is part of the hand or the ball. I see this as you should be holding the club with your hands. You should not be holding it with your forearms. <laughs> Did I just put you in a pretzel there? I know that you thought, no, you thought that bringing up basketball officiating would help me feel differently about golf. I'm going to keep those two, two sports separate. Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's move on from this. These are two lukewarm takes. Uh, uh, Billy Horschel I think if we can stake on him for a little bit, he seems to be like number one, two, or three atop the spiciness meter lately. Like he's doing things that are creating blog posts and headlines and are blowing yeah. up our website. He's kind of, he's like borderline unhinged slash on edge whenever he's playing in a crucial golf tournament. He's throwing his clubs up in the air like a baton. He's slamming them into his bag multiple times. Like, he ends up having to apologize to Augusta national. I feel like he's going to come crashing down because he's also yeah. a great quote at this point. You know, he's the one calling for an arm lock ban. He's the one who's kind of sounding off on things, this or that he wins the WGC match play and has a, you know, a, a press conference afterwards that was littered with good stuff. So he's a great quote. He's also pretty flagrant. All right. Well, you just crashing down. said the key point here. He just won the WGC match play. What is this guy's deal? He, he, normally when you see guys that are on the edge, it's because they are frustrated beyond belief. You know, they have had a long run of playing golf, not up to their standards. Billy Horschel just won one of the bigger golf tournaments in the sport. Uh, he cashed a yep. check for nearly $2 million. He locked up... He's leading the race to Dubai, the European the tour the like European version tour. of FedEx Cup. Um, so <laughs> I don't understand it. I mean, has his have his expectations just raised that much more now that he is, you know, won this big tournament? One interesting potential theory is that he's off social media. And he said, uh, I think it was last year. He needs to get his said, thoughts I out. I think last year that he was... He was sort of tired of the, the toxic environment of Twitter. And so he was leaving it to, you know, his management team. They would be handling all his posts since then. And I wonder if by doing that, he has, A, lost his ability to get his takes out there. And he always had some takes. And, <laughs> B, he's lost uh, that feedback that you get from, okay, I've done something on the course that's kind of wild. When I go check my mentions, Am like, I right? people are going to be Am I wrong? all over me. <laughs> yeah. And and C, now he's got a – I can't remember what C was, but <laughs> A and B stand. Billy, I don't know, man. Get it together. That's all that matters. I think I think you might be onto something because his, his press conferences and his headline-inducing quotes have – they've increased in frequency. He – he seems more comfortable, I think, post-victory 
of at the match play of speaking out on things, which this happens with people. Bryce, uh, Bryce, Brooks Kepka. He didn't really speak out. He didn't really uh, get after Bryson. He didn't get after Patrick Reed until he started winning his majors. A lot of these guys feel empowered when they win. And then they start saying things more as if they own a greater piece of the pie in professional golf, uh, at least in terms of attitudes and opinions. They might not be wrong by that, but I don't quite agree with a lot of the things he's doing and saying. And so I got a feeling he's going to do something wrong, a little, even a little bit more wrong than what he did at Augusta. And it could become his self-awareness seems to be dropping, which always is a good thing for characters in every situation. It makes them more, more better or for worse. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, before we quit, let's talk briefly about who is another one of those people who who tends to be entertaining uh, with their self-awareness. Bryson DeChambeau. Mm. He posted a workout video on YouTube uh, shot exclusively vertically, no horizontal. Bryson, you got to know better than that content wise. Uh, And I was just thinking he doesn't, he doesn't seem like he feels uh, like he has been given enough credit for what he's done. We talked to him at Augusta the Sunday before the masters he was riding high. Like he was said he's more confident than he's ever been. He feels more comfortable being a favorite. But during that conversation, he said, you know what? I was a pretty damn good ball striker before I decided to make all these distance gains and I've become a really good putter. And he kind of seemed to think like, look guys, give me a little more credit for like my entire game here. And I think with this video, he seems to be saying like, Hey, like I, I didn't just do this stuff overnight. Like there was a bunch of me grimacing and working my way through all quarantine and the summer of working out. Like, I think he is, that's his way of saying like, look, this is hard. The end slide of the video is work hard. Think about that. He's trying to be a leader in body shaping, changing golf, etc. And he kind of is just saying, Hey guys, you gotta, you gotta work hard to do what I've done. And this is kind of maybe in response to him not playing that well at the masters and not so well at the match play. Either. Yeah. I think that to some extent he, he, he really likes this idea that he's going to inspire other people to make changes in their life. Um, which is a you know an admirable message. I think that his messaging is stuck a little bit between you know he's obsessed with ball speed. He said that he didn't practice putting over quarantine at all. So he actually improved his putting dramatically, but he never played golf. He never really practiced his putting. He basically just worked on his ball speed last year uh, during the PGA Tour's hiatus. That's not to say he hasn't worked on his putting before and after. I mean, he grinds on the the practice green during tournament weeks, um, but it's 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 tricky. Like on the one hand, he was a great player and a great ball striker before he underwent this body transformation. He's good at playing golf. He's not just you know Kyle Berkshire. He's not just a, a long drive competitor. He is actively good at getting his ball in the hole. Um, 
Augusta National, he seems to have a tougher time doing that. But yeah, it's hard for it's hard to expect fans to hold all of these nuances in their head at the same time. Yes, he was a great ball striker before, but yes, he's also undergone this game-changing transformation, and he hits it that much further now. Uh, his results are better now, but they're not so crazy better than they were. His putting is better, mm-hmm. but how do you square that with his body transformation? Is that the same, or is it related, or is it different? So, yeah, there's a lot of things that I think Bryson wants to get credit for. He wants to be seen. We can all relate to that. But, yeah, I think his his messaging is just a little bit scattered. It's definitely scattered. That's probably the best way of putting it, mainly because if you just think about the process of events, he wins his first major, right? Uh, he becomes the favorite at Augusta, gets beaten back by the course, gets beaten by Bernard Langer. Then he wins the Arnold Palmer Invitational, goes through the whole thing on the sixth hole, hitting it over the lake. A lot of people love it. A few people don't like it mm-hmm. because there's always 10% haters in the world. Uh, then he drops like this NFT package, the first tour player to do so. And it, it kind of seems to a layman that he's trying to like profit off of his most recent success, even more so than he already has. So he gets ripped for that. Then he comes back to Augusta and puts on a r- wicked display on the driving range. We're, we're just uh, He's doing so many things that we have a hard time understanding the importance of that I think it will mask the few things that we, we do understand the importance of, which is being a top 10 player in strokes gained putting, a top 30 player in ball striking, and a top five player in driving the ball some of his most important facets kind of get cluttered in with some things that seem less important. And so he has to be the most difficult top player to understand where he is day to day. And yeah, I, I mean, we've gotten to spend some time with Bryson now. We've gotten to know him a little bit and it's very clear that he cares what people think on the one hand. And on the other hand, he doesn't always know exactly how to make people like what he's doing. Um, so there's a little bit of a disconnect. He's, he's still trying to be himself, you know, and he's a quirky individual for sure. And that's not always going to square with uh, what people are ready to see. You know, I think he, I think he yeah. likes this YouTube world. He likes this world of Twitch streams and golf's, audience who wants Bryson to care mostly just about winning golf tournaments is not going to, you know, not going to always take kindly to that. They're going to make fun of him for it. I think he, he can take that. He's well aware of, of the stuff that people say about him. Uh, But yeah, the, the, the desire for people to like him and what he actually does, hoping people will like it are not always going to square up. And I think that that's probably a tricky thing for him. Yeah. And you know what? My final thought on that is as true as that is, like, I'm okay with how he's gone about it. Only because you look across the rest of the tour, and there's just not that many dudes that are, are trying things, being fun, doing things differently. <laughs> no, who else is doing tri- Twitch streams? Yeah. He's, he's willing to put himself out there. I don't there. know. 
I don't know who There's else There's something really admirable yeah. about that. There's something cool about trying really hard and not backing away from that. I think a lot of other guys downplay their effort, mm-hmm. um, downplay how much they care about certain sure. things. Bryson doesn't do that. There's a lot of uh, a lot of positives that you can take away from his whole process. All right. Well, that's probably like the fourth podcast in the past two months that we've ended with a, a breakdown <laughs> of Bryson DeChambeau. Do you have any so hot Zurich Classic picks? We've met our quota. Uh, that's about uh, – no, I don't. <laughs> do you? I like that honesty. No, I'm just fascinated by how some of these pairings – end up getting chosen so i'm sure we'll hear more about that uh, well, the, uh, how about let's do uh who, if if you had a tea time and you were uh, a sponsor's exemption mm. into or maybe let's say let's say you monday qualified into this the zero classic i'm not even sure there's a monday qualifier for it who uh would you choose on the pga tour right now wow. to be your teammate the entire tour doesn't matter if they're playing this week or if they're not yeah all right, the tour. Because hmm. you're going to spend a lot of time strategizing with this person. Right. You're going to be competing with them. You want them to obviously be very good. Yeah, you want their, your um, games to mesh. Um, but then you also want to have a good time. <laughs> I think that. I think I'm going. I mean, look, this is going to sound like a homer pick because I just pick him every week, but it's got to be Xander. You gotta go with Xander Shoffley. He's playing. I knew he was gonna say it. He's playing as good a golf as anyone in the world Ugh. right now. He's not winning individual events, but that's not to say that he wouldn't win a team event. He's rock solid. He'd be a fun guy to spend a few days with. Xander, I know you're listening to this. Let's do it. Get uh get Patrick Cantlay off uh, the team. Who you got? <laughs> the cool thing. The cool thing for you is that you would probably get to spend a bunch of time with Stefan Shoffley mm-hmm. and his putting coach, Derek, uh, in that squad, as we learned at Augusta, it seems to be a lot of fun hanging with the ogre, um, meshing with my game. You know that I can get a bit errant off the tee. I would need a rescue artist. I would need, you know, a modern day Seve. You're taking Patrick. Reed, I think I would you? need Jordan Spieth. Oh, no, I'm taking speed. <laughs> Are you kidding? You think I'm going to hang out with Patrick Reed all week? Yeah. Uh, I, that no, would be... it would have to be speed. The... <laughs> that would be the best access you could get into the world of Justine Reed for sure. But no, speed is the answer. He's playing phenomenal golf. You get him on any green and he might make the putt. You put him in any situation. He might hit the green. He also might put me in situations, and you know that I can occasionally show some wicked scrambling ability myself. Comfortable so, in the woods. I think we would make up for probably we would ease we would be three x as entertaining as you and Xander would be, even if you guys would beat us by fifteen. I wish I could argue with that, but that's a fair point. <laughs> All right. Well, that's forty plus minutes of you and I talking. Uh, that's that's enough right that's usually plenty for us um the zurich classic is this week the women's la open is this week and i don't know what's happening in the rest of the world golf so we'll leave it at that he's dylan DeChair. i'm sean zock this has been the drop zone